GM, GM, welcome back to another episode of Web3 Academy. It is the weekly doer spotlight. Today we are highlighting Chris Seeley, the senior vice president and creative director of One Of. One Of is one of the leading curated marketplaces in the NFT space. We're going to dive into exactly what that means to be a curated marketplace and all the projects that they've worked with. You're talking the Notorious B.I.G. estate, Whitney Houston estate, Sports Illustrated, Muhammad Ali, Michael Phelps, the list goes on. These guys are really deep into the music, entertainment space of some of the largest IP brands in the world, which have communities and they're bringing them on chain. Chris also brings a wealth of experience, having worked previously over his 20-year career as a creative director and a chief marketing officer. He's worked with George Soros. He's worked with the mayor of New York City. He's worked with Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, this guy brings the full spectrum and knowledge of business building and how to create value for your users and your consumers and your community. We can't tell you how much that came through in this episode. It's just so important. And we all know that, but Chris really nailed that and shows in the ethos of one of and what they're building there and just incredible things. Chris also has experience as a general partner at Chainlink Capital, which is one of the leading crypto hedge funds. And he also was co-founder previously of Cover US, which was a health tech startup in the Web3 space. We didn't even have time to talk about that today, but his bio off the charts, you guys are just going to love this episode. So buckle up and get ready to have your mind blown by Chris Seeley from one of where we break down exactly what big brands should be doing in Web3 in order to build community and provide value for your users. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we partner with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Are you building a community around your brand? Well, listen to this. At Web3 Academy, our motto is community first, profit second. Why? Because engaged communities tell you exactly how to improve your product and ultimately drive growth. They act as team members, recruiting new customers and providing crucial feedback. And they become brand super fans, sticking by you through thick and thin. But to engage your community, you must first understand them. That's where Chasm comes in. Chasm is our go-to Web3 tool for managing and understanding our community members. It combines both on-chain and Web2 metrics all in one user-friendly dashboard. With Chasm, you'll know things like which other communities your members are part of and which of your campaigns are truly driving results. That's why at Web3 Academy, we use Chasm to launch campaigns, optimize growth, engage our community members, and automate workflows with this all-in-one tool. If your community is already on-chain, get to know them better with Chasm. Head to chasm.xyz using the link in the description and discover why top brands like Immutable, Nifty Labs, and Collabland are using Chasm. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chopping it up with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. We had a great conversation just off air before we hit record, and I'm really excited about this. So we were just chatting about, we got to start with a little bit of background before we jump into one of and everything you guys are building in your incredible NFT marketplaces and the clients you're working with, Whitney Houston, Notorious B.I.G., their estate, so many cool things you guys have done. But before we get there, let's start by giving the audience a little bit of an idea of who Chris is and your background as a DJ and <laughs> your story of meeting Prince and spending time with him. We got to start sure. there. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you talk about Prince, people listen. So let's talk about Prince. And I don't mean Prince Harry. You know, people talk about him enough. <laughs> Just to be clear for the audience, I mean Prince Rogers Nelson, which to me is the greatest prince of all time. As you mentioned, you know, I've always been a DJ, despite working for 20 years as head of marketing for, you know, various companies and as a creative director, I've always needed that creative outlet. So I've been a DJ on the side. And it's a pretty great side gig that's taken me, you know, all around the world to play music for the most famous people you can think of in kind of the greatest places. And I was never really that nervous, right? Because you just build up experience and it's just what you do. But one night I got a call when I was in New York to DJ for Prince at a tiny private club called Norwood in New York. And mm -hmm. I got to tell you, for the first time, I was very nervous. You know, Prince was my musical hero. And mm -hmm. here I was going to DJ in a room that held about 50 people. And he's one. Wow. And I got even more nervous when Prince showed up at the very beginning, like at the opening when no one else is there except for me, brought two dates as Prince does okay, and proceeded to sit in the DJ booth with me. And this DJ booth was about five feet wide by about four feet long. So here I am spinning records and my absolute musical hero is about yes. a foot and a half behind me. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, absolutely judging every move that I right. make. Right. So, you know, that's a pill to swallow. And, but a couple hours in, the party is going great, as far as I can tell. You know, and Prince is rocking out. He's playing the piano to the songs that I'm playing. People are dancing. It's a vibe. And then little Wayne walks in. And, you know, <laughs> what? Very, yeah. And keep in mind, this club is the size of a large living room. Okay. okay. Little Wayne walks in very inconspicuously, but with a group of people. And at the time, <laughs> he had the number one song in the world, a song called Lollipop. And yeah. I love Wayne. But I didn't really like the song Lollipop. I always felt like it was a little slow to play in a dancing context. Okay. And I'm playing like funk and disco music, right? Like, yeah. like a yeah, yeah. party for Prince. I'm playing Prince vibes, essentially. And then about an hour in, one of the people sitting with Wayne, and I don't know if it was his manager or agent, comes up to me and says, hey, could we play Lollipop? And it's a perfectly reasonable request. It's the number one song mm -hmm. in the world. It's a nightclub in New York. And he was very polite about it. But I just didn't feel great about it. It's a very slow song. I just couldn't see it working. Okay. I was very nervous and I second guessed myself. And even though I knew it wasn't the right song for the moment, I did what they asked and I played it. Yeah. And when okay. I played it, you know, I'm not going to say the party ended, but the room did lose a noticeable bit of energy. Okay. Just yeah. as I'm feeling bad about myself and feeling very conspicuous, I get these pokes in my back. And I don't mean taps on the shoulder. I mean, like someone would poke you if they were about to attack you. And of course, <laughs> Prince, right? Who else would poke someone that they didn't even know like that? It's Prince. Right. And he is pissed. He looks at me and he says, what the F? You were killing it. Why are you playing this BS? <laughs> okay. He's literally outraged. I sort of shrug my shoulders and I say, well, you know, Wayne's here. It's this and that. And before I can yeah. even finish, he says, so? Saunters across the club, immediately goes over to Little Wayne. And I just see him pointing and making incredibly aggravated gestures and screaming. <laughs> And I can't hear because of the music, but I see like a very determined prince. And then he comes back over to me two minutes later and he puts his hand on my shoulder, you know, from like half my height. Yeah. Says, Listen, we're here for you, honey. You play what you want. No. And it's cliche maybe and it's simple advice, but it stuck with me. I went from that moment of like doubt and imposter syndrome to be like, wow, my musical hero said that he's hanging out because of my choices. And now not only do I have the opportunity to make choices that I want, but like that's what people expect. And the reason I tell this story is not to flex that I know Prince. I mean, I'm already married, so I've told the I know Prince story many times to get to <laughs> Worked in the past. Yeah, worked in the past, doesn't need to work anymore. But it really reminds me not just of our challenge in Web3, you know, which to me is as a creator mm -hmm. and as an innovator, you want to be aware of what the market wants, but you have to have mm -hmm. the courage to pursue that vision. But it also reminds me of how Web3 grew, right? You have this very small, mm -hmm. very tribal group of people who essentially did not have an outlet for their creativity and innovation in the mainstream tech and art space. And so they created it. They essentially created this massive growth industry from a small community due to their vision. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when we talk now and we see the fluctuation of assets and we see people going to jail and we see collectibles that we held dear emotionally and financially maybe being only emotionally valuable to us at this point, <laughs> you know, I really feel like you got to sort of channel your inner prince to the best that any of us could mm -hmm. and keep creating and do what you think is right, doing mm -hmm. what matters 
when it comes to bringing Web3 to everyday people. You know, that's what I try to do every day in my own life. And I really think that's what we try to do at one of since, since the start. And that's why I'm happy to be here. What a story. I love I mean, that line. And keep in mind, this guy's my absolute hero of heroes. Yeah. So for that to be an experience was really incredible. We're here for you, honey. Play what you want to play. Yeah, but but in a much more aggressive tone. Like, not, <laughs> not a supportive grandma, like, uh, together, honey. More like fucking get with it, man. Come on, yeah. you're better than this. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't come here to waste my time listening to you play lollipop while we're dancing to disco. That was the message, and it was the right one at the time. And, and to his credit, Little Wayne and his team, they were totally chill. They, they got it, too. Incredible. What an experience. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so we've got to use that as a, I think, a great transition into one of, and where you guys are at in terms of the conversation you guys are having with these massive IP brands, yep. because I'm sure that some of these brands are unsure if they should enter Web3. You know, everybody's heard of all the big brands, you know, Starbucks, Nike, Reddit. Mm -hmm. They're all doing things in the space and they're probably using that as an example. But what's it like when you're in a meeting, you're pitching these big brands, do they need that type of attitude that prince hey let's play this record let's jump in do you need to come in with that conviction are they wanting to get into the space is it like a right. slam dunk when you guys are doing these pitches well let me give a little background on one of which may be context many people you know know us as the leading curated web3 marketplace you know encompassing music sports and entertainment right but since 2017 we've also been providing software and consulting services to help brands get into the web3 game we've been powering rewards for companies like Warner Music, Uber, et cetera. And the natural evolution of that work was always not just powering public collections that you know get a lot of press and get people excited, but helping brands connect authentically in a space which is very important to them. Certainly in 2017 was very foreign to them and even now is foreign to them somewhat, right? Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, pitching brands is not a slam dunk if you're pitching mm -hmm. the right brands. Given how important we understand the future of Web3 to be, Given the obvious decentralization of audiences who are kind of leaving the big platforms and finding their own online communities, given the desire for users to be part of the value chain, not just be exploited by the platforms they visit, mm -hmm. and given increasing awareness of privacy, you know, from GDPR to just you and I wanting our information mm -hmm. kept sacrosanct, any major brand is either considering being in Web3 or is there. And one of, you know, in a part of our business that people probably don't see, is quietly building tools for a lot of the absolute tier one consumer brands to do just that. Mm -hmm. Having said that though, you can certainly have a positive conversation with brands in the Web3 space because they get that it's the future. But I wouldn't want to be in partnership with a brand that was not Web3 native already, where it was mm -hmm. a slam dunk the minute we just talked blockchain. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is our job, in my view, as innovators at the nexus of sort of software and business and culture is to come up with solutions for brands, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not just have them get into the game because of FOMO, mm -hmm. but give them a reason today to engage because they can expect a return, maybe not the huge return they're expecting over time, but they can expect momentum and forward progress tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I think we are, you know, having a bull run in terms of brands getting into the space. I think mm -hmm. brands are starting to really understand, thanks to Starbucks and Tommy Hilfiger and so many other things, mm -hmm. the value of digital twins to your physical goods. They're starting mm -hmm. the value of loyalty. But a mm -hmm. brand that's not approaching that with skepticism and saying, well, okay, how does this new tool set actually serve my customers? You know, I want to work with only those brands. So everything yeah. is a slam dunk to get attention. But I think closing the deal, not just for one of, but for anyone in this industry, is really about how can this benefit me tangibly in the near term yep. beyond just being a thing that we all know will matter in the future. Where does that typically go then when you're in those conversations? You know, you mentioned loyalty is an yeah. obvious you know use case that I think really fits blockchain, and there's so much potential for better reward right. systems and better loyalty. So when you're working with a new brand, are you trying to tack onto something that they are already good at and just right. improve that? Or are you Maybe trying it's to- It's obviously a case by case, certainly. Yeah. From both a strategy side and from a technical implementation side, if you think you're gonna go into a Fortune 500 brand 
and change how they do business so yeah. that they can incorporate a Web3 outlook, I think you've probably got it wrong. This means that you want to be aligning with their internal strategy and coming mm -hmm. up with solutions that actually benefit them, as I mentioned. And it means that on the integration side, you sure as heck better have your loyalty program tie into their existing database systems. Right. You sure as heck better have a Web2 style onboarding like one of has and has had since the beginning mm -hmm. where you can sign up for a pretty complicated crypto identity, but do it in a way where you're just giving an email and a phone number and it takes two minutes. Because I think we need to understand that, you know, consumers are not people who engage in long debates on Twitter. Those are yeah. people looking at the future and we need to look at them now. It's funny, the first project we ever did with one of, in many yeah. ways, feels more relevant than it ever did. So we're okay. working with iHeartRadio, which is a mm -hmm. huge, you know, radio and entertainment network. And they had something called the iHeartRadio Music Festival. And mm -hmm. it was basically a giant concert, you know, Coachella, like any of these things. And every artist yep. you can imagine was performing. This was early 2021. And they wanted to get into the Web3 space. But, you know, they didn't have the visual rights or the representation rights to the artists. It's not like I could have made a million Dua Lipa NFTs and sold them on iHeart's behalf. Mm -hmm. And so we essentially started a loyalty thing where we gave away a million NFTs, literally one million NFTs. One million. Wow. And, an and this is in 2021. Yeah. It, basically in one day. Ow. We minted them at an unheard of cost, basically zero marginal cost, when at the time, you know, you had $150 plus <laughs> fees on ETH. People were paying 5,000 yeah. gas to make Yeah, and that's in. why, you know, at the beginning of the commercialization of digital collectibles, the prices were high. It wasn't yeah. just that, you know, artists should, and I do believe should get paid commensurate with the value they create, which I think is priceless at times. It was just the economics and the engineering prevalent in the industry didn't allow scale mm -hmm. and didn't allow regular people to participate. And when you look at our founders, you know, Lynn Dye, Joshua James, and Adam Fell, from the very beginning, they had thought the world does not need another blockchain marketplace where you have to be a crypto expert or a maximalist mm -hmm. or a rich person to participate. The mm -hmm. underlying technology of blockchain and really using that technology to bring people closer to the brands, the celebrities, the icons that they couldn't get otherwise, you know, to go from mm -hmm. a parasocial relationship where you just think someone is awesome or love a brand to a relationship where you're interacting. That was the point. And what seemed like a crazy thing to do, giving away these million NFTs, minting them, you know, our amazing production department actually got them all out the door, attaching sweepstakes to them. What it did was it set the foundation, not just for, of course, a press moment for iHeartRadio because they were first yeah. to do that, but it set the foundation for a loyalty program. And then after mm -hmm. that, you know, our next drop was with Doja Cat, who was and, and in many ways is the most powerful and popular artist in the world. And we got a big lesson in what it's like to create a sold NFT for the most popular person that exists <laughs> and all the expectations that come with that. And we broke yeah. sales records on Tezos and blah, blah, blah. But here we are, you know, two years later, and somehow that initial NFT where we had to mint quickly, we had to do no harm to the environment, we had mm -hmm. to get essentially a loyalty mechanism in the hands of, in this case, a million people and leverage the brand equity or leverage a moment in time and event. That feels like where blockchain has always been, but mm -hmm. where more recently is more publicly going. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So has the iHeartRadio drop turned into loyalty in some way? Yes. I mean, they use it. We did a bunch of things with the Breakfast Club. We okay. did promotions of drops. You know, they, the Breakfast Club is just like a seminal morning talk radio show that yeah. mostly touches the hip hop community. So yeah, you know, the, the great thing about One Of is that even through sort of the ups and downs and market fluctuations, we've sort of set about to have longer term partnerships with our clients. You know, mm -hmm. even if it's one drop and one drop only in the contract, we absolutely plan for it to be 100 drops <laughs> over the next 100 years, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's allowed us to sort of stay with these clients over time. You know, we've got more yeah. stuff coming up with iHeart now. It allows them to sort of gain an understanding because remember, you know, the other thing brands need to understand is the brands you want to work with have tremendous brand equity and yeah. they want to be futurists and they want to get into the space. But we all know how opinionated web3 space can be we all know how passionate it can be and i think yeah. these brands need to work with companies like ours and, and other companies 
who can keep that in mind? Because we're not just here to sort of deliver a drop and say, see you later. We're here to empower these brands, whether it's through SaaS software or through managing them through an initiative to get business results. Because at the end of the day, art and commerce always have a tricky and many times fraught relationship. The beauty of blockchain, right, is that it deals with rewards and it deals with commerce incredibly well. And if we can apply creativity and business strategy to that, that's when these big brands really start to pay attention. Yeah, totally. Why do brands say no? What's the fear? I mean, obviously, like regulation would be something that would appear from the outside to be a fear of getting involved until we figure out more regulation. Maybe some brands are worried about yeah. potential scrutiny down the road. What, what are the reasons why a brand would say, no, we're not ready? We'll talk about regulation separately because I think it's an incredibly important question. I okay. think with at a legal level, but not at a humanistic level. And I think we should mm -hmm. talk about that. In terms of why brands say no, I mean, to be honest, we have a pretty good batting average at one of, and I think we're lucky to have brands that come to us more so yeah. than outbound. But the reason brands say no, I think, is brands are large companies, right? And large companies are not able to move as quickly as mm -hmm. small innovative marketers like me and you and the folks watching. Mm -hmm. And so they often will start this battleship moving in a direction. And when they started the campaign, they wanted to make a lot of revenue off of collectibles and have a really wonderful PR moment. Right. And while there are still pathways to revenue, and as we're finding also still pathways to good PR, it's not free money. And there's a lot of backlash for doing it wrong. So I think <laughs> brands say no, because when the original initiative was approved, it was a different world. And yeah. the incentives were more attractive to that brand. I think the other reason brands can say no is just usability. I mean, like, you know, everyone talks about how important it is for the user. And certainly we do. Right. That was the hallmark of our company. You know, let's make Web3 easy. Let's make it easy for consumers. In two minutes, you should be able to buy your Doja Cat NFT with your debit card if you really want to, right? Mm -hmm. That was our sort of central insight. And the other central insight, which we've also been pursuing and which I think is becoming more talked about, is ease on the brand side. I'm a huge brand. I've got an audience. They mean a lot to me. Chris from one of is telling me all the right things. Mm -hmm. We're on the mm -hmm. same page strategically. Oh, but wait, what? I have to have all my users go get a Web3 custodial wallet and KYC and all these complicated ways and, and spend 20 minutes after they've decided to make that decision and half of them, yeah. then they call me and I don't really have the yeah. customer support to guide them through it. And wow, you know, I've just leveraged my trust to get them to take a step. They've taken all these complicated actions and now mm -hmm. they're square one. Well, brands say to themselves, with all that goodwill from the consumer, I could have gotten a lot more out of it. So why mm -hmm. am I down this pathway? And so I think it's really ease of integration into the brand's existing brand strategy, into its existing business objectives in a real way, and into its existing systems. I mean, that's the boring part that people like me don't want to talk about. But, you know, like I said, if it doesn't work with your current database setup, you're probably not going to replace your entire company's CRM just to have a Web3 program. <laughs> you're probably not going to replace the entire way you communicate with folks just to have a Web3 program. Maybe in the end, it'll have been worth it. But you can't ask so much of brands and so much of users and expect adoption. As mm -hmm. innovators, we need to work to make the passion point where either a brand says, yes, we're in it, or a consumer mm -hmm. says, yes, we're in it. And then we have to do the hard thinking to make that as seamless as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to come back to your point around user experience and the pain that you can cause for your users if they have to figure out custody and get a seed phrase yeah. and all these different things. So out of all the projects you guys have done, which one's your favorite? At this point, it's going to be a cliche answer, but the Biggie project is, is my okay. favorite for so many reasons. You know, I started my career as a hip hop journalist in the late 90s, early 2000s. I had the chance to spend some time with not Biggie as much, but all the artists he was with I actually spent some time with his mother in various contexts and, mm. you know, just grew up sort of idolizing this guy as a contemporary and as a hero. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we get contacted by Biggie's estate, by Wayne Barrow, who managed Biggie in real life and now manages the estate and works yeah. with Biggie's mother, Valletta. They said, we want to make the most famous freestyle Biggie ever did, where he's famously rapping on in front of a bodega on the streets of Brooklyn. Right. When we he's like seven, that, 17 years old. Yeah, 17 years old. And he's rapping on the street corner. And at that time, you know, he was already being talked about in hip hop media circles and people knew yeah. he could rhyme. But this was kind of that moment where you thought, oh, wait, 
this guy has something special. This is the start of something way bigger than a great rapper rapping on video. And so this magical piece of hip hop history, the estate comes to us and says, hey, you know, we see how you move. We see how you take care of iconic brands. They felt that was even more important given that Biggie was no longer with us. Mm -hmm. So we want to make Biggie connect with his fans, even while he's not here. And we want to do that by giving what we think of as the most dear asset and a foundational piece of hip hop history to fans. So they hmm. can figure out creatively, you know, how his legacy carries on. And it was amazing and, and it was an incredible challenge, right? Let me just frame this for people so that everyone gets sure. this. So this project was a 3000? Yeah, so we did a 3000 piece generative PFP collection. The art is awesome. It's all like poses yeah. of Biggie in his sweaters and in his yeah. hats. It's very and Biggie. Every single piece in the collection matches exactly something he wore in life. Okay. And the stories behind even the names, a lot of the stuff are inside stories from Biggie's neighbors, Biggie's family, like every single piece of editorial stuff that you could dig for another 10 years and not even get into all the stories that are just hidden in that collection. Interesting. Um, and when so you say names, you mean names of each item? Or yeah, so names we, we gave, so like any generative collection, right? There's various elements, you know, the outputs, yeah. the expressions, they all had names tying to Biggie's history. They're even included in collections for reasons. I'll, I'll give you a great example. So one of the things that your Biggie can be holding, if you get it, is a stack of cash, right? A, a okay. bunch of bills and Biggie's face. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Biggie was known for being flashy, had the song Get Money. Him with a wad of, you know, Biggie bills is not exactly unfamiliar. Yeah. The reason we included that, though, is because I have a friend who's an older guy, probably in his 70s, and he grew up on the same street as Biggie. And when I called him and I said, you know, what extra stuff can I put in? He said, you should give him a stack of money. And I said, well, that's kind of obvious. You know, sure, I'll give yeah. him a stack of money. That's the best you got for me. And he said, no, 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 no. What you probably don't realize is that when Biggie was successful, even when he wasn't the global icon, he would regularly go to people in the neighborhood and give them cash to pay their rent because he was from a pretty tough part of Brooklyn. Yeah. And he's like, so when I see him throwing cash in the air, I actually see the Christopher that I knew who was just a great young guy. So there's stories that go on forever. Very cool. It's the most personal expression. You know, I said I started as a journalist. It's like a way to tell his story more yeah. deeply than any interview could. Wow. And so there's 3,000 pieces, even during a time when literally hundreds of millions of followers were struggling to sell collections, we sold in seven minutes. Even more interestingly than the fantastic art done by a group called Seriously Fun, an amazing creative studio, was that we called it Sky's the Limit. Now, Sky's the Limit is a Biggie song. And, you know, when you see that video, you definitely think Sky's the Limit for Biggie. But we called it Sky's the Limit because we thought that this collection was really a Trojan horse for a way to put fans and artists on the same side of the table in a real way by giving mm. them collective ownership of that freestyle. So when you mm. bought your Sky's the Limit NFT, you got a randomly generated collectible, some of which mm. trade for tens of thousands of dollars on the secondary marketplace even today. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had a one three thousandth share mm -hmm. in the ownership and revenue that can come from using this freestyle in a music context. And we thought that this was a great model, indeed, you know, sky's the limit type of model <laughs> for how fans can participate as creators. And again, that mm -hmm. was brought to us by Biggie's team with arms open. And so what's happening right now, we have, you know, a little under 2000 members because of course people bought multiple biggies. We limited yep. the amount you could buy, but folks wanted to stack up in certain cases. And they are part of a collective, which people would think of as a DAO. They get together, they engage, you know, we have metaverse events with our partners at Spatial. We do everything you could imagine that a community would do. But right yep. now they're actually in the process of determining who they want to license this song to, either as a quick sample that some house music producer like David Guetta or Diplo could take and make a big song, or yeah. a verse in its entirety that an upcoming artist could take and use the entire verse. Critically, with this right, they make that decision. Not Biggie's family, not wow. one of the holders. Um, wow. The only restriction that we have on them, literally only, is that they can't use it to make a disparaging work about Biggie. But they could right. do it with anything else. And that yeah. was the point. Any revenue that comes back, which as you can imagine, you know, if they license it, to an upcoming rapper whose label pays a hefty licensing fee and that song, yeah. the album and streams a lot, you've got recurring revenue. That goes entirely back to the collective to use 
for future projects and potentially to do things like this with future artists. Yeah. So, so it really, you know, when I was doing interviews for the process, people said they kept calling it a posthumous NFT drop or the drop from a dead rapper. And it really wasn't. Right. It was the beginning in our view, at least in our world, of the way that musicians and fans can interact in only the way Web3 could provide. And yeah. so today we have community leaders. I go to their meetings. Not important. I just sit there and participate as a biggie holder, you know? Yeah. And they make decisions and decisions that surprise me, decisions I agree with, decisions I don't agree with. And it's awesome. It's unbelievable. Amazing. This is exactly what gets me so excited about Web3 and why I'm dedicating my life to it is there is something so powerful about having a vote, about yes. being able to have your say control outcomes that most people don't get those opportunities yep. day to day, especially not for one of the biggest rappers of all time and one of his most cherished and famous pieces. He most cherished, yeah. I mean, and it was something, you know, listen, this has been the most famous freestyle and rap history since 1994. The family's been sitting on it, you know, yeah. untold amounts of money probably thrown their way because they wanted to find the right way to have his legacy live on. And they were very simple about it. If you ask Wayne Barrow, I mean, he's got many beautiful things to say, but it essentially boils down to, Biggie made music for his fans. If he was here, he'd be engaging with his fans. And this yeah. is the best way to do it. So you just never know where this goes, right? Like this is what gets yep. me so excited is like community is so powerful because community Absolutely. has the ability to create rapidly, to create what the community actually wants, not what the big company tells the user that they want. Mm -hmm. And so when was the drop again? The drop was about nine months ago. It's all such okay. a blur. So it's still, yeah, I mean, crypto Six time months is ago, like... Yeah, it was really at a down point in the market. I mean, we felt good. The biggie people kept saying, don't worry, we're fine. But we had some real trepidation. I mean, I won't name the artist, but there's a very popular R&B and hip hop artist who has almost 200 million followers who sold 3% of his collection the same week that we dropped and sold out in seven minutes. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting too, you talk about the community and that's what's so interesting. So you look at Web3 pioneers and you look at the pioneers in hip hop and if you put pictures next to each other, it might look a little bit different, right? Yeah. But really it's very similar. You know, hip hop was an art form born out of the black and brown people in the Bronx, yeah. creating an art that spoke to them and creating a culture that spoke to them, a mainstream that they couldn't identify with. And in many ways, that was where the original NFT artists came from. You know, right. that were, that there were barriers to their work being appreciated. There were, yeah. cultural, there were all sorts of barriers. And to your point, one vote, they created a world where they had agency. And by the way, this is also why certain music goes in and out. For a while, it was all about hair bands. And then Nirvana came in and killed the yeah. hair bands. And then the grunge music faded out, right? Hip hop, what happened? It never faded. Why is that? Yeah. Because it's a culture, not just a music. It's a community. Yes. And that's yeah. why I've got hope for Web3. And when people say to me, what are you doing in Web3? Couldn't you be doing so many other things? And I say to them, well, I could, but this is the only industry where I can do all of those things as yeah. part of my daily job. I'm so excited for this biggie thing because community is so composable over time, right? So the community is just, as you mentioned, starting to get together and they're having votes, it sounds like, and trying to figure out how they're going to sample or use. Or yeah, and they've elected this. leadership. And now, right, so exactly, those things can lead to so much more, right? Like now that you have yeah. leaders, you figure out how you communicate, who knows what they do. I mean, it'll be exciting. You know, we could well be in a situation where some incredibly famous artist wants to use the sample and they say no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in any other business, you'd think, my God, you know, what are we doing? But that's the magic, right? Yeah. We are essentially putting our faith in the power of community, in the power yeah. of everyday innovators who come together because they love Biggie. And we yeah. think the net result of that collective enthusiasm and genius is smarter than something I'm going to think of. And I'll take that bet any day. Yeah. That feels like a great bet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Super powerful. Okay, let's move on to some other projects because you guys have so many that I'd love to chat about. Yeah, sure. I know you guys have done some work with Duke basketball. For yes. those listeners who don't know, Duke is a American college and their basketball team is one of the greatest basketball teams of all time. My favorite, my personal favorite team. I grew up loving Duke, loving the old teams of Carlos Boozer and Jay Williams. I'm an 80s baby, so it was yeah. in the mid 90s through their many runs. And Coach K, their coach who just retired last year is a total icon in the sport and definitely a leader that I look up to as well. And I know you also a big basketball fan. So let's talk a little sure. bit about what you guys did with Duke and tell us about that project. 
Yeah, so as basketball fans know, Duke is an iconic program. It's been helmed by Coach K, who for the past, you know, 40 plus years has essentially been arguably, you know, along with perhaps Bill Belichick, the most successful mm -hmm. example of leadership and success in American mm -hmm. sports. To say he goes beyond the game is an understatement. Mm -hmm. And he was ending his career at Duke and retiring. And his very last game in the regular season was with North Carolina, which if mm -hmm. folks are familiar is the arch nemesis of Duke in every part. <laughs> yeah. They are just a few miles apart and they could not be more different in terms of culture, in terms of student yeah. body. And, and it's a brutal, brutal rivalry. And so, you know, Joshua James, who, who is one of our co-founders and really is the one that creates so many of these relationships for us, he was actually connected to Paolo Bancaro, who is now the, the mm. star of the Orlando Magic and the number one player at Duke and, and therefore had some yeah. visibility into the Duke program. And we just started chatting and Duke said, you know, we want in on this NFT thing. We want to honor coach in his final mm -hmm. game. But this is a 70 year old man who does not need <laughs> NFTs to be popular and who has the biggest game of his life. And yeah. let's not bother him, but let's celebrate it. Okay. So what we learned about NFTs in this case or digital collectibles was you can create a moment by issuing a collectible, but if you create a collectible or a loyalty token that celebrates a moment, it can become even more powerful. So long story mm -hmm. short, we spent a lot of time with the Duke program. I mean, for a basketball junkie like me, getting to see all these hidden parts of the locker room and seeing all the trophies and seeing the history. I mean, it was unbelievable. We got to go to mm -hmm. a game, you know, and you're in the crowd. I mean, it, it was wild. You got to immerse yourself, right? Because you're telling mm -hmm. some story. And we essentially issued commemorative collectibles, tickets using some really incredible 3D art commemorating that game, almost like, you know, people save ticket stubs from notable events. Yeah. Graded by, you know, collectibles companies like PSA and SGC. And then we also did a series of one of one championship rings. Many colleges, when they win a national title, will make commercially available a replica of the championship ring. Okay. So that boosters, friends of the yeah. program or fans like you and I can buy one. Duke famously does not do that. Ah. So in addition to these tickets that we sold, you know, these commemorative 3D, very beautiful tickets that, that sold out immediately. And some of them had utility, you know, to students that were part of the fan section. I mean, it was really embedded in the campus. And cool. we did these one-of-one one NFTs where we did these championship rings where if you were a collector and you're the ultimate booster, you could buy one of these. And originally, unfortunately, we couldn't get it through the NCAA licensing department. We actually had the Duke announcer recreate the famous calls from the games. And with these championships, we bundled that in there. The final collectibles didn't have that. And what's okay. interesting about this is, you know, you spend all this time with Duke and from start to finish, we had about six days to do the project by the time we were through all the red tape. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> the game is the game, right? There's no way they're going to say, well, hold on, let's reschedule the Carolina-Duke <laughs> game. Yeah. Chris can have a little more time on the creative. <laughs> but we pulled it off. You know, when we spoke to the NCAA later, they mentioned it was far and away the most successful college sports digital collectible of all time, at least at the time it was. I think it probably still is. Yeah. It's really a testament to leveraging a moment, you know? That's the thing. If there's 13,000 people that fit in that stadium and not one more and tickets are going crazy, how can you use Web3 mm -hmm. to bring people closer to something they love, whether it's a mm -hmm. brand, whether it's a moment, whether it's a game? And so that was amazing. It was the power of a moment, I think, is, is how I think about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how much you're using the language digital collectible as opposed to NFT. We need to erase the use of NFT for Great. mass audiences. If I was going around and I was telling you about my SMTP setup for my email rather than referring to it as email, it makes no sense, right? Cool. It's like tech talk. But we love to collect as Absolutely. a culture and as a society. You mentioned tickets. I'm a massive Dave Matthews Band fan. Right. And I've seen them over 60 times and I have the tickets from every show I've been to. But what happened at one point in the last decade was people stopped printing tickets and you just started getting right. these lame PDFs. Right. Mm -hmm. And a PDF isn't a collectible. Like, what the heck am I going to do with that? Right. So now we have this opportunity where you can create something digital that is collectible that you could potentially sell later, which is right. in through a liquid market. Which and is create community insane. through, right? I mean, exactly. And it's a massive opportunity on both sides. If you look at how tickets work, they are run through Live Nation Ticketmaster. So yeah. just as you are seeking something that has emotional value to you because you love Dave Matthews, 
right? And you don't have that ticket anymore. Well, if you're the biggest Dave Matthews fan, guess who doesn't know it? Dave Matthews. Yeah. Because streaming platforms are collecting the data of you streaming Dave Matthews. Mm -hmm. When you go to see Dave Matthews, Ticketmaster is collecting your information. Dave yeah. Matthews has no idea you're the number one Dave Matthews fan. And this goes yeah. for brands as well in many cases. The platforms totally. are the gatekeepers of not just commerce, but data and engagement. Mm -hmm. And if you're a creator, whether you're Dave Matthews or an independent artist, you know, we're about to launch a really interesting program for independent artists that I can't talk about. The number one collateral, the, the most valuable thing you have is to know who your fans are and who's yeah. really that's what the incentive is for these brands to yes. jump into Web3. It is an actual direct-to-consumer relationship where the give and take is you have to give some value to consumers, but mm -hmm. in return, you're really connected to them. And you're connected to them no matter what platforms become popular or less popular in the future. You're traveling mm -hmm. with them. You know, You are essentially giving them an asset or, in our case, sort of a very complex blockchain wallet that doesn't feel like it. And you're going with them as they move around the internet and being able to provide value to them and they're feeling closer to you. So that is the essentially the bargain. It's so obvious to me sometimes. I wonder if everyone else sees it because it makes so much sense. It's an opportunity that we've never had before to, as you mentioned, go direct to consumer, create community. One thing that stands out to me, just to go back to the Dave Matthews example is there's certain shows that I've been to that have become famous. Who knows why, to be honest? I don't know. Maybe Dave you know, was in a good mood or you know, maybe they all had a puff before the show. Who knows what happened that allowed them to be in that zone. But it would be super cool to be able to connect with who else was at that show yeah. and well, know, you know that you funny. were there. When you talk about our founders, right, you have Adam Fell, who runs Quincy Jones Productions and, and mm -hmm. has been next to the biggest names in music, working at the side of the most successful music producer literally since Mozart, right? Yeah. We've got Lin Dai, who's been building this blockchain software since 2017 and running large media companies before that. And you've got Josh. His One of his more prominent ventures prior to this is exactly what you're talking about with Dave. He was working with Pearl Jam, who famously was no friend to Ticketmaster and who were this band that would play shows and the fans were and are obsessive. Did you play this version of Porch? It was like talked right. about. They couldn't get enough, much like Dave Matthews, Grateful Dead, BTS, you know, the list goes totally. on. And so his business, which he proposed to them was, hey, you've got all these amazing shows you're playing with all these live versions. And at the time they were bootlegging their own shows on CD and selling them. Mm -hmm. Josh went to them and said, hey, why don't you do a thing where if someone goes to the Pearl Jam show, they can then sign up online and receive MP3s of the entire live show for free. For free. With their ticket price. But now Pearl Jam knows that you're the super fan. And it was yeah. a very successful business that expanded Linkin Park, many other artists. And what you're talking about, right? This very simple non-Web3 way of saying, wait a yeah. minute, you're passionate about me. I don't know you. Let me give you something of value so that you can announce yourself to me and we can now be in partnership creating value together, right? That was Basecamp Productions and it's Web3 in, I think, its most purest form today. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Any other projects you want to mention quick before I want to move on to talking about your marketplace and... Sure the focus on UX and wallets and how you're getting people onboarded. And when you work with somebody like Biggie and somebody's never had a wallet before, what it's like for them. But before we get there. Yeah. Two projects come to mind, one that's ongoing and one that's more in the future. You know, uh, working with eBay, you know, we were the mm. first company to release an official NFT with eBay, exclusive official NFT partner. In doing so, we worked with our friends at Sports Illustrated and talk about bucket list. You know, the first digital collectible we released with eBay was Wayne Gretzky. You're Canadian, so you may have a more Canadian. point, but pretty hard to argue that he's not the most iconic hockey player. And then our second NFT collectible was Muhammad Ali. And the list just goes on and on and on. And so we've been able to go through the sports world with our partners and really have these incredible moments. You know, Michael Phelps just dropped. And, you know, we're spending time with these athletes telling their stories. So that was amazing, both to sort of be at the forefront of digital collectibles with a giant like eBay and do it with the biggest names in the industry and also like Sports Illustrated as well. And then something, unfortunately, you know, one, yet another one of these, it's going to be great, but you can't hear about it. You know, the brand stuff that we're doing now, you know, we're not just working with any brand. We're working with brands who are consumer brands that really have something of value to give to their users. And 
you know, we recently were invested in by American Express Ventures. That is the dream in many ways for us because Amex is not only at the forefront of, you know, credit and banking sort of globally. If you have an Amex, all of your important purchases, you put on that Amex and you do that mm -hmm. because they're trusted. They are implicitly mm -hmm. the most trusted, probably financial thing that exists. And working with them in very smart ways to help leverage that brand equity and trust and help them engage with users in the Web3 space and also support all of the myriad of businesses and ventures that work with Amex, use mm -hmm. Amex and sit under Amex. That's been a really exciting thing. And it's been happening for a while. We're sort of just at the beginning. And mm -hmm. that's exactly the type of use case I'm talking about. Consumer facing awesome. businesses who have yeah. value to give and realize that giving value to your members pays itself back tenfold to your business. I would love to push you more on Amex, but I know you can't tell us more. <laughs> so that's, that's totally fine. We'll come sure. back to that in a future yeah, episode. When people use one of right now, yes. are they using their Amex or XYZ credit card to buy? Yeah. What are you seeing? So like I said, you know, we've been building software since 2017, using it for brands and then also for our own use cases. We have our marketplace. We keep a very tight rein on it because the brands we're using, you know, they expect a curated marketplace. We work on multiple proof of stake coins because obviously artists and businesses care about environmental impact, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They care about ability to scale, you know, at low cost. And I was there when we were doing the logo for the company. Everything was based around usability. So as I said, when you go to one of, you sign up and you give your email and your phone number mm -hmm. and that's it. And you have a very sophisticated multi-sig, multi-wallet, Web3 identity that is now supporting you. It doesn't feel like it. You don't need to know hmm. about anything. You don't need to have ever bought crypto or even know what Coinbase is, but you have a lot of power behind you. If you are a crypto expert, you can export all your assets out and into cold storage and whatever wallet you have. You know, you can really tweak it. But okay. we built this for everyday consumers. So in two minutes, right. you've got the power of a Web3 identity. And you can buy, like you said, NFTs in many ways. Over 100 credit cards and debit cards worldwide. Okay. And also crypto. You can even collateralize your crypto. So you could buy an you know, a digital collectible with multiple different types of crypto <laughs> rather than just one. So right. for power users, that ability was there, but we were always focused on regular people, fans, yeah. customers. But I thought, you know, at the beginning, we'll have a lot of people buying in crypto and some buying credit card. And at this point, it's high 90s buying in credit card almost since the beginning. Really? We'll probably end wow. up at 99 percent except for the true whales who are essentially wow. diversifying assets. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the need for the beauty of the technology of Web3, the privacy, yeah. the value, going from a one-to-many approach as a communicator to a peer-to-peer -peer universe where creators mm -hmm. and brands can be at the center, but not always shouting at people, but be in conversation mm -hmm. with the conversation. You know, none of it works if it's too hard to sign up for. And I think <laughs> exactly. it's easy to sign up for. I mean, and that's also pricing. You know, we very easily could have sold our biggies for a hundred dollars. We could have okay. 5x that and sold out just as easily. Right. Not many reasons. One, Biggie didn't make music for elites. He made it for regular people. But mm -hmm. two, we want the value. We want the ride to be something that everyone gets to participate in. If you buy something for 100 and it's an emotionally valuable thing to you or appreciates financially, you're a more loyal one of customer if you've seen the benefits. You know, we sold a Whitney Houston NFT that came with an exclusive access to a song no one had ever heard except for Whitney's mm. sister, Pat, who managed her and Whitney. We sold that for, you know, a million dollars. And so obviously for high-end collectors, you know, at the time when that market was robust and in many ways it still is, we have stuff for that. But in that same Whitney collection, there was a $10 Whitney NFT. And that was important. Mm. So average mint prices, they range. But what we want to do is we want to grow with our audiences and we yeah. want to work with brands and artists who want to do the same. This is not a rent seeking mechanism. This yeah. is not a value yeah. extraction mechanism. It is investing in the people that you want a relationship with who are your customers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just looking at, I think the floor price on the big NFT is 300 now, yeah. 300 US dollars. So worst case so scenario, you 3X, you get to tell everybody you own the best rap freestyle of all time. And you have this yeah. super cool biggie where I spent dozens of hours getting the sweater fabric right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should probably give my wife like $10 for all the time I missed around the family obsessing over those details. So if you hear me. <laughs> 
If you're out there and you own a biggie, I'll have my PayPal at the bottom of this screen. Yeah, exactly. Here's Donation my, here's my, here's my uh, fund. That's got to be one of the only assets that actually appreciated in value in the past six to nine months. I mean, well, you know, it's you, funny. There was a question you had asked me earlier, just informally, and it was, is there something you bought for under $100 that you really love, mm -hmm. right? I am very happy that crypto is now becoming part of institutional finance. I'm happy that it's being regulated and we can talk mm -hmm. about why. I'm happy that a ton of people made, in most cases, way more money on crypto than I did. I'm happy of all this, even through the ups and downs. But at the end of the day, as someone who's a creator and a marketer, I cannot control market fluctuations. If I could, we'd be talking from my gold helicopter hovering <laughs> above my gold mansion, right? But what I can do is put my hard work into creating something that's emotionally resonant. So yeah. I run a crypto hedge fund of funds called Chainlink. It's the most successful hedge fund of funds in the crypto space since inception, and it does well. I'm a founding general partner with Andrew Hoppin and Paolo Orgo and mm -hmm. a bunch of other great people. And had a good year. The most successful investment I have made easily in the past three years is buying a Jason Tatum Panini Prism basketball rookie card for $90. I'm proud to report, proud that it is now probably about $230, maybe $200. I feel like a combination between like George Soros and Nostradamus. I love the Celtics. I love Jason Tatum. Yeah. I knew he was going to be great. I knew it. it. I saw it. Former Duke player too. Yeah. I put down a not insignificant $100 on a piece of cardboard. And here I am up 200%, right? And I don't care if that thing goes down to $2. Yeah. Well, I would because it would mean he was injured and I'd be sad. But it's the emotional resonance. It's that I'm a mm -hmm. fan. It's that I can mm -hmm. feel like a kid. And if mm -hmm. we can create things that are collectibles that bring a childlike joy or an emotional thing, or for brands that bring loyalty that is more than skin deep, that is more than transactional, that mm -hmm. is value creation. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. business people can take that very visceral, very humanistic value creation and scale businesses on top of yeah. that and create economic value. Yeah. But all you can do is create human value. And from there you can build businesses. So when you're creating something, try to create something that you love. And that other people mm -hmm. will love. Because let's be honest, right? If you have a lot of money, yes, investing in crypto was a great way to make more. It was also a great way to lose it. You could just park it in Vanguard and do fine over the past few years. Mm -hmm. Why are you engaging in Web3? It's about possibility. It's about loyalty. And it's about engagement. So there mm -hmm. needs to be those feelings that go beyond what you see you know, on your Coinbase or eToro account when you log in. It's the biggest thing that I don't think anybody can understand until you play in the game is yeah. ownership is fun. And yeah. it's difficult to make that leap for digital because we don't own any of our digital Absolutely. stuff currently, thanks Web2. And not to hate on Web2 because look, Web2 connected the world, gave us incredible social platforms that allowed us to learn and to speak to each other and incredible communities they built as well. So I'm not hating on them at all. But once you own a digital item for the first time, the emotional resonance, as you said, similar to your basketball card, that feeling that you get, yeah. it's hard to describe. And then that roller coaster of it going up or going down and that continued emotion you also get right. to experience. Like, but that aside, you feel but a part, part of it, right? The the up the roller coaster doesn't make me feel less passionate. It may upset me on a day when it's down, but I'm invested, right? And this sounds very trite, but I think it's really true. Brands have that same opportunity. Like, obviously, I think that basketball is more fun to me than benefits I may get from my coffee company or my bank right. or something else. But I still have chosen those businesses to work with for a reason. And they mm -hmm. can still inspire emotional and emotive feelings in me by giving yeah. me benefits that I want or better yet, by allowing me. And I think this is where like loyalty programs come in a lot of what we're doing by allowing me to create my own benefits, by allowing yeah. me to dictate to them hey, of all the things that you could give me, here's what I find valuable emotionally, yeah. financially, and otherwise. And I think that relationship, as you say, right, Web 2 brought us all in the same room. And sometimes it's happy and sometimes it's terrible. <laughs> Web 3 puts us on the same side of value creation. And it inspires businesses to look at us as not customers yeah. or even people they serve, but collaborators, 
yeah. and valued members of their brand. You know, whether their brand is Jason Tatum Inc. or mm. Univision. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay. Before we wrap up with a speed round, I mean, we could go with this interview forever, but I, I'm sure you've got many business proposals. I mean, if you're saving, you know, to. interviews are more fun than meetings, but you're right. <laughs> I'm saving you from that. Right. Okay. <laughs> I want to give you a chance to give a show for one of, I know we've talked about it throughout the episode, but where can people reach out to you, whether you want to show the marketplace or the client side and the software side of what you guys do? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So right now, you know, our public facing one of is at one and that is mm -hmm. our marketplace of digital collectibles. A lot of the brands we work with have collections on there and will have collections on there. And in the coming months, you're going to see a more public opening of the kimono to show what we've been doing for brands since 2017. So, you know, we can include my contact information at the end of it, yep. but ultimately, you know, if you're a collector, I, th I think if you're watching this episode, you probably already know where one of and where to go. And if you're a business, I would just say FOMO inducing yet true way, as I can say, you know, we are really working with everybody. If you yeah. wonder if we're working with your arch competitor, we probably are. But we're being choosy about those we work with because we want good results. You know, we look at the consumer, their happiness and their loyalty as the end marker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, reach out to us because there's only so many things we can do well. We have the opportunity to be choosy and we are realizing that even in the depths of sort of a collectibles market that, you know, is having a tough time, the utility around loyalty, around marketplaces, around a brand who creates things, owning its own resale market, that stuff never left and mm -hmm. it's more powerful than ever. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Where can people find you, connect with you personally? Sure, I mean, you can email me, I'm old school. I'm okay. Like, Christopher at oneof.com. Also on LinkedIn, I have a very poor Twitter presence. And if you want to see pictures of my family and various DJ gigs, follow me on Instagram. I'm not a very interesting social follow, but you know, I'm widely available. You're a very interesting interview. So we all have our mediums, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. We'll include some links in the show notes for those listening. Okay. And by the way, reach out to me. Like I'm telling you, I've given speeches at colleges and the 19 year old person that reaches out to me, we end up working on businesses together. Like when I was younger and even when I was in business, I always thought, oh, they don't really want to hear from me. Trust me, I want to hear from you. I am so busy. I need the inspiration from mm -hmm. courageous people who are bold enough to reach out. It helps me. Cool. I love it. Okay. Speed round before yeah. we wrap. Let's do it. A couple quick questions. What's an NFT you'll never sell? I mean, Biggie, you know, it represents months and months of my life. Greatest rapper of all time. I want to see where it goes. Like sky is the limit. We chose that title quite purposefully. I love it. A must read book. Oof. All right. I got two. Very different. One is called A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. It's a fictionalized book about the caste system in 1970s India. I know that sounds mm. weird. Okay. Um, but really what it's about is the interdependence of humanity and how fragile society and democracy can be, especially mm. in tough times. And, and obviously, you know, we're experiencing some tough times now. And I think it's an incredibly poignant book. An incredibly tragic book, but even amidst the struggle, you really feel quite inspired. I read it many, many years ago, and it sticks with me to this day. The other book, which takes five minutes to read, is the book that I read to my two-year-old daughter pretty much nightly. It's called What Do You Do With An Idea? I also read it to okay. my two-year-old son. And it's really just about creativity and courage. And it's, you know, 15 pages geared at three-year-olds, but it's got more wisdom than most adults, myself included. Well, I'm going to have to get that. My wife is pregnant right now with the Real there, There's like five or June. six books that they're for the kids, but really it's like I'm getting more when I read them. I'll send okay. you Okay, cool, cool, definitely. Okay, last question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? I would write, stop being scared. Um, hmm. This is a little more separate from Web3, but it relates. So I would say stop being scared on a billboard because as someone with two young children, I am very aware and very disappointed by how much fear runs our society. You know, you have these mm -hmm. extremist leaders running countries into ruin, running countries into war. You have a lot of tech founders sort of and celebrities who act like children because ultimately they're quite insecure. 
You have young men in America growing up lonely, turning to guns and violence. You have people that are just afraid of people that are different because of their religion or ethnic identity or sexual identity or choices. And then you have so many people, you know, myself included at times, who are so burdened by their own fear of failure, right? And if we could just get past that, we could just do so much more for society, you know? So like if you could just try, you know, social media is not real. Everyone is just as scared as you are. But creativity is an act of will. It's not inspiration. It's not an idea. It's an act of will. And despite the fears that we all have as innovators, as creatives, as Web3 pioneers, you know, there's a lot of joy on the other side of that fear. And I would tell people to stop being scared and find a way to push through the fear and, and find that joy. I think if we don't do that, our industry will suffer. And if we don't do that as humans, our society is not going to be what we want to leave to our kids. Wow. Mic drop. That was <laughs> very inspirational. I mean, that's I think the important that... stuff, right? But it relates. You know, we're creating a mm -hmm. community in many ways, a society in Web3. You know, we have to start as we mean to go. I think that Prince, however many decades ago, when he tapped you on the shoulder and said those words to you, it's clearly made yeah, us Yeah, I was scared that day. With you. You know? yeah. I was scared. That's the point. I'm scared today, but you know what? You got to push through. Stop being keep, scared. Yeah, keep showing up. I love it. Chris, this has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for your insight. And thanks for being a leader in the space. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.